it's funny, I don't know, I don't know if any other parents have experienced this, but when I was a kid, the thing I loved to do most when it rained was go out and jump in puddles. And now that I am a parent, I'm like, stay out of the puddles, we just got you dry. And I'm going, oh my goodness. I'm like stealing from them the joy. I become all fastidious or something like that. So anyway, we are in the middle of a, a series where we are unpacking um, the purpose statement that we feel that God has given us as a church. And a lot of times this time of year, we are going, hey, here's where we're headed for this next year. Here's going to be our focus. But again, we felt this year like God was asking us to do something way deeper than that. He wanted, we felt like he was saying, we want you to clear the deck and really begin to go, what are we working towards? What is our primary focus as a church? And so last week, I, I introduced you to this new purpose statement. But let's throw it up here, and I'd love for you guys to read it alongside me. So can we, there we go. Here's our purpose, if you can read this with me. Lighthouse Community Church is committed to making disciples who love God, love one another, and love their neighbors. And this purpose statement is going to shape everything that we do. And over the next several weeks, we're going to begin unpacking just how it is going to do that. But it's very clear that we have one focus and one focus only as a church in terms of what we are going to be gunning towards, and that is making fully committed disciples of Jesus Christ. And last week we defined a disciple as somebody who is following our rabbi or our master, and we identified the person we're following as Jesus Christ, not Eric Wayman, not Lee Harrison. We want to become Christ followers, not Chris followers or Darlene followers or anything like that, right? It is 100% focused on Jesus Christ. Which is great. Jesus said, go, make disciples, and that's what we're doing. However, how do we do that? And for those of us who are saying, hey, I'm in, maybe some of you guys last week stood up. In fact, I think everybody who was here pretty much stood up. Um, if you said, I'm in, I want to be a, a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ, the question that we need to ask ourselves is, well, how do we do that? If we're in, do we have some way of measuring whether we're doing that? Do we have some way as a church for us to be able to go, well, how are we doing in that area? What I love about this purpose statement is it doesn't just give us our primary directive, making disciples, but it also gives us the process by which we hope to do that. You see, each of those things, loving God, loving one another, loving our neighbors, these are areas of our life that we as a church are going to focus on. Loving God, how are we doing in leaning into our relationship with him and allowing him to direct us? Loving one another, how are we doing in allowing other people into relationship with us? That life on life that sharpens us, they spur us on. And then how are we doing in pouring into the people beyond the walls of this church because we do not exist simply to perpetuate ourselves? This isn't a place where we come and hide from the world. This is a place that we come to be encouraged and worship God and kind of focus our eyes on true north so that we can then go out and be his representatives. So over the next several weeks, we're going to unpack each of those different areas, loving God, loving one another, loving our neighbors. This week, I want to focus primarily on that first one, loving God. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. It probably may even be on page 1 for you. Um, it's the one time when, we're, when I'm directing people where I'm like half the time right. It doesn't matter. Um, and I, I got to tell you up front, we're going to cover a lot of territory in the Bible today. The reason being is I'm going to try to set a foundation for understanding our relationship with God. A couple of things I need to let you know about. We've talked about all of these things I'm going to mention today tons of times. 
So I'm not going to spend as much time leaning deeply into each of these passages. I'm going to more remind us of these things to set this foundation. And in the coming months and years, we are going to continue to come back to these places again and again. But in Genesis chapter 1, we see God as this divine artist speaking the world into existence. He he speaks the sun, the moon, the stars, and and, and the world he forms with his words. And then he begins to separate the the oceans from the land, and he he causes plants to grow. And then he creates the the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and the animals that are going on, all of it with his words. And then on the, the sixth and final day, he finally gets his hands dirty. He he kneels down, and in the dirt and the dust, he begins to form the first man. And then he gets down, and in this really intimate picture, he breathes the breath of life into the first human being's nostrils, creating Adam, this beautiful synthesis of corruptible flesh and divine spirit. And that's who we are. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God explains his reason for making mankind differently than he made everything else. It says this in verse 26, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over every creature that moves along the ground. We've talked about this before, but God created mankind in his image, not simply so he could say, hey, you know, there's an image bearer, but for a purpose that we might represent God in caring for his good creation. Make sense? You guys have heard this before. This is nothing new, hopefully. But, and this is something that becomes very clear, God did not intend for mankind to represent him by ourselves. He never intended for Adam and Eve to have dominion over creation without his interaction. He made them specifically to do life, and to represent him in relationship with him. Of course, in order to have relationship, we need to have the ability to have relationship. He could have created mankind to be robots, right? Could have chosen to design us so that we could never, ever do anything other than what he wanted us to do. The problem with making mankind robots is they can't genuinely have relationship because they can't choose other than to do what they're told. And so God, interestingly, plants a tree in the Garden of Eden and says that it's off limits. And I've often wondered, well, why would he do that? Was he setting Adam and Eve up to fail? He must have known that they would choose to eat the fruit. Why do that? And as we've discussed before, he did it not to set them up to fail, but because he was giving them a choice. Will you choose to trust me? Will you choose to follow me? Will you choose to submit to my leadership in your life and actually be my representatives? Or will you flex your free will and do what you want? So God designed mankind and gave us free will specifically so that we could choose to have relationship with him as opposed to simply being robots that did what he told us to do. Now we all know how this story plays out, right? In Genesis chapter 3, the serpent comes slithering in And he seeks to undermine God's relationship with mankind by getting Adam and Eve to sin. But the way he does it is really interesting. Because he doesn't just point to the tree and say, look, doesn't that fruit look delicious? Don't you want to eat it? Instead, he begins by undermining Adam and Eve's perspective or their trust in God. He starts by going, 
did God really say not to touch that fruit? (laughs) You won't die. He's holding out on you. Because he made you deficient. He He didn't give you a part. And so you don't know good and evil. And he doesn't want you to be like him. But you know, I tell you, he may have made you deficient, but that fruit over there, that can give you what he didn't give you, what he failed to give you. And suddenly, as Adam and Eve begin to question, is, is God really good? Does God really care about us? Or has he really held out on us because he, he doesn't want us to be like him? And if we are deficient, then maybe, maybe that will give us what we want because we don't know what we're missing. And so Adam and Eve, because they begin to question God's goodness, because they begin to doubt him, the fruit becomes a lot more attractive and they end up eating. And we know the fallout from that sin. Suddenly, their perception of themselves and their perception of God are horribly warped. It's as if they begin to view their God and themselves through this carnival mirror, right? And, and the perception of who he is changes from a loving father who created them to do life with him into this divine traffic cop, and Rich, I apologize for using this illustration again, okay? But it changes into this divine traffic cop with those like aviator glasses that are reflective, standing up in heaven, looking down, just waiting for them to screw up so he can throw the book at them. Some of you probably identify with that picture of God because that's the picture that you have of him. Just waiting to throw a thunderbolt at us. Their perception of themselves changes as well. Rather than viewing themselves as representatives, as, as reflections of this holy creator God, they start looking at themselves as failures, as embarrassments. And, and with shame, they hide from one another and they hide from their God. A lot of us have a perception of ourselves. When we walk in here this morning, you're almost with your tail between your legs, recognizing that there's that thin line between Saturday night and Sunday morning. And you think back to this week and you go, I am an utter failure and I don't belong here. And if anybody knew what I've done, if anybody knew who I am, they'd be disgusted and wouldn't want to be near me. And I just want to remind you that that is not how our Father in Heaven looks at us. He's not disgusted that you're here. He's grateful that you've shown up because he never ceases to love us. His love for us and his perception of us is not fixated on our sins. It is focused on the fact that we have been created in his image to do life with him in a loving relationship with him. And you don't have to take my word for it. Because Jesus was very clear about how God feels with us. And he didn't just tell us but he also showed us through the stories that he, he told. One of the most famous parables, and you guys know this one, is a story about a kid who was impatient to get his hands on, on the stuff that was going to come to him when his father died. And so rather than waiting for his dad to die, he, he goes up to him and he says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. It was basically like saying, Dad, I wish you were dead because I want my things. And shockingly, this father could have disowned his son in a moment, but instead he goes, okay, here, you think that you want that? Take it. And this boy takes his inheritance and he runs off to a distant country into a place that is probably similar to Vegas now. And he begins to live the kind of life that he wanted to live. He begins to surround himself with fair-weathered friends who just enjoy the, the benefits of all of this income that he has. But eventually, the money runs out and so do his friends. And this boy finds himself sitting in a pigsty 
covered in the filth of his choices, looking at the looking at the food that he's feeding the pigs and longing to eat that stuff because he's so hungry. And he looks at himself and he goes, oh my gosh, how did I get here? I mean, look how far I've fallen from where I was when I was back home with my father. Then he starts thinking about the servants that work at his dad's home and he says, "I, I feel like my dad would never welcome me back as his son, but maybe I could go back and, and live as a servant. Even a slave has a better lifestyle than what I'm doing right now. And slowly this, the boy kind of picks himself up out of the pigsty and he begins this long, painful journey back home. And as he's walking, he, in his mind, he's beginning to formulate his, I screwed up you know, explanation to his dad, just trying to beg for the right to come back and live as a servant. Well, Jesus' story now reshifts his focus to this father who in this story represents our father God. And this father hasn't been ignoring the fact that his son has gone. In fact, his father has been aching for his child to come home. And he's sitting on the porch in this story looking, scanning the horizon. And when he sees his boy walk up over the rise, his heart starts to thump. And he goes, could it be? Is it? And when he realizes that it's his son, he doesn't do what some of us would expect him to do. He doesn't stand with his arms crossed waiting for his boy to make that long walk of shame home. Instead, he does something completely unexpected. He hitches up his robes in a most undignified manner, and he runs to his boy. And when he gets there, he doesn't lay into him with a lecture and remind him of all the things that he's done wrong. Instead, he throws his arm around his stinky, sweaty son, and he begins to rejoice, my boy is home. I missed you so much. And then he he looks at the servant and says, quick, go get a new robe because this one needs to be burned. And and quick, you go kill the fattened calf because we're going to throw a party because the son of mine who was lost has been found. My son has come home. And Jesus said, that's the way that our Father in heaven looks at us. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter how much we stink because of the choices that we've made. He never ceases to love us. His love for us is unwavering. And it's not something that we have earned. In fact, Jesus said, can we throw this this verse up in in John chapter 8? Jesus put it this way. Oh, I missed it. That's not right. It's Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Sorry. It says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, before we ever made a move towards him, before we ever said, God, I'm sorry, I need you, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, he sent Jesus Christ to die for us. In other words, before we ever took a step home, our Father God took the first and greatest step that ever needs to be taken. He stepped down out of heaven, took on flesh, and died in our place so that we who have been created in his image, can be called his sons and daughters and can be redeemed from the things that we've chosen to do. And so this morning, I would be remiss if I didn't give us an opportunity for us simply to take hold of this gift that Jesus paid for with his life on the cross. And last week I talked about how the journey with Jesus is not defined by praying a prayer. Oftentimes we look at praying a prayer as the finish line. 
I've arrived. In fact, it's the starting line. It's the starting of saying, I embrace this gift. I embrace your love. I will rest in your love rather than trying to earn your love. And yet, for some of us in here this morning, it's time for us to start this journey with him. It's time for us to stop trying to clean ourselves up and get the reek of the pigsty that we found ourselves in and simply come home. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to pray a simple prayer of accepting Jesus' love. And if what I'm about to pray is the cry of your heart, then I invite you to pray it along with me. And I've got to tell you, there's nothing magic about this. It is simply the cry of, I'm done trying on my own. I've tried to live my own life. I've tried to be the captain of my ship, and I've seen how incapable I am. And I'm just ready to rest in the relationship that you created me for. Will you bow your heads with me? Father God, I need you. I know that I'm not perfect. I know that I've messed up a lot. And I know that you know what I've done. And now I rest in your love. I know I can't earn it, but I'm so thankful that I don't need to earn it that you offered it freely. And Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for giving your life for me so that I can be reconciled to my Father. I accept you as the Savior of my life, and I also invite you to be the Lord of my life. So Jesus, I invite you to come and help yourself to me. Guide my steps. I choose to be your disciple. Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. The, the parable of the prodigal son, which I just shared, is one of three reminders in that section of Luke chapter 15 where Jesus illustrates this is how God feels towards us. And what I love about it is that at the end of each of those illustrations, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son, at the end of each of those illustrations, Jesus says, listen, God celebrates whenever one of his children come home. And so right now we believe that there's a celebration in heaven for any of you that made that choice. And we as a church family want to celebrate as well. And so I would ask that if you did make that choice, I'm not going to ask you to, to stand up right now. I would simply ask that at some point today you tell somebody, come up to myself, to Lee, somebody else, and tell them. Because we want to begin this journey with you. We want to walk with you along this path. However, one of the things I love about the gospel message is that not only does Jesus' death on the cross reconcile us to God, but it also restores the original purpose for which God created us. So each and every one of us who has accepted Jesus into our hearts and said, I'm tired of trying to do this on my own, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Every single one of us who says yes to him not only is reconciled to God, but we are now restored back to the original purpose for which God made us for. You know to represent him. Remember that back in Genesis chapter 1? I want to make mankind in my image so that he can represent me. 
Well, in John chapter 8, now I'm finally to the passage that I quoted before. In John chapter 8, Jesus said this, I am the light of the world, and whoever walks in me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am light that shines in the darkness, and anybody who chooses to follow me will begin to be a reflection of me. And will become light in their spheres of influence. So, because we are people who need visuals from time to time, and because some of you are hard of sight, I got a little light bulb here. This little light of mine, right? This represents you. And this represents me. We are called to be light bearers in our world. Reflections of who God is. Reflections of God's love. That is what we are called to do, is to reflect that. However, just like God never created Adam and Eve to represent him by their own strength, God has never called us to represent him by our own strength. And if we try to do so, if we try to be a good representative of Jesus by our own strength, then we are just... We have just as much much hope of doing that as this light bulb does of producing light by its own strength. However, if you take this light bulb and you plug it into a power source, and I I love the fact that this one has three legs because it reminds us of the fact that our, our power source is our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we plug ourself into that power source. Oh, I love this. I've been looking forward to getting to share this toy with you for a long time. You guys have been wondering why we have all those Edison bulbs on everything right now. This is why. Because this has become my new, like, love. This is what God created us to do. To reflect the light of his love into our world. To be light bearers. But by our own strength, we can't do it. And yet, when we rest in him when we allow him to empower us, then we will naturally produce light. Now, Jesus used a similar analogy to this. He said in John chapter 15, and it's one that we're very familiar with, Jesus said, listen, I am a vine. I am the vine. You're a branch off of that vine. You picture grapevines, right? This I am the roots that go down into the ground and come up and provide sustenance and nourishment. You are a branch off of that vine. And if you abide or if you rest in me and I abide in you, then you will bear fruit naturally. But apart from me, nothing will happen. And we understand. It makes sense when you look at a light bulb or when you look at a a, a grapevine. That if the bulb doesn't remain connected to the power source, then there's going to be no production, right? No light will come out. If the branch doesn't remain connected to the vine and it tries to produce fruit by itself, nothing's going to happen. So we understand naturally that production, whether it's fruit or in this instance light, is a byproduct of connection. As we remain connected, fruit or light will naturally happen. Does that make sense? You see how that happens? Interestingly, though, when it comes to our walk with God, we tend to invert this, don't we? We say, if I want to remain connected, then I have to 
produce fruit. Then I have to make myself more shiny so that God will want something to do with me. And so although we know that light bulbs don't produce light unless they remain connected, connection happens before production. And although branches don't produce fruit unless they remain connected, connection happens before production. When it comes to our relationship with God, we say, unless I produce, I can't be connected. And I simply want to remind us this morning that we're going about it all wrong. Because we, who have been created to abide, and that word abide is a really important one. It's one that we'll we'll play with a lot more in the coming years. That word abide can also be translated to remain. Or another way that really helps me is just to rest in God's love. Right? There's this this beautiful quote uh, that was taken from this Chinese pastor. uh, Can we throw it up there? Please? Maybe? This guy's name is Watchman Nee. Anyway, I wrote it down just in case you don't have it. So no worries. There's a a Chinese pastor named Watchman Nee who experienced tremendous um, persecution for his faith there in China. And he wrote a book called Sit, Walk, Stand. And in it, he explains the power of the fact that we get to rest in God as opposed to trying to have to earn God's love. And he said this, Christianity begins not with a big do, but with a big done. We are invited at the very outset to sit down and enjoy what God has done for us, not to set out and try to attain it for ourselves. In other words, where does our relationship with God begin? Does it begin with us earning his love or does it begin with us resting in his love? We're called to rest. And from that, the fruit will come out. We're called to abide or remain in him. Not because we're worthy, but because he has called us worthy, because he sent Jesus to die for us. And as we do that, we will naturally produce light in our life. Interestingly, though, as Christ followers, and I wrote this in your your notes because this is so important. As Christ followers, we tend to fall into this mistaken belief that abiding is more about pressing in or chasing after God, as if we, this light bulb, have to cling onto God, as if it's something we have to do. I think I was even thinking of this picture of the light bulbs. You know, you have the the socket and the light bulb is in it. It, it, The way we approach it, it's almost like we, the light bulb, have to grab hold of the power source and cling on, but with our, you know, tooth and nail, so that we don't fall off. And yet, So often in our life we feel like we make a mistake and and, and our fingers start slipping and we feel like we're going to come crashing down any moment because the onus is on us. And the picture of abiding is just the opposite. That we, like this light bulb, rest down inside God's hands. That he grabs a hold of us even though we're imperfect, even though we're covered in the muck of the choices that we've made like that prodigal son in the mire of the pigsty. And he says, just come home. Let me care for you. Because I love you. And there's nothing you've done to earn that. So rest in me. And so, rather than trying to earn it, abiding is a state of being. It's not a state of doing. Abiding is simply resting. And it's embracing the belief that God gets more glory out of our simple presence than our steadfast performance. 
He gets more glory when we stop trying to be the Marthas that earn his love and simply rest at his feet like Mary, saying, I just want to know you more. And the that makes sense intellectually, perhaps, but when it comes to our Christian walk, we, we tend to do it differently, don't we? In fact, in fact, some of you probably approach your Christian walk like this. Abiding looks like my cell phone. I take my cell phone and I plug it in and I get my God time. That charges me up. I come on Sunday mornings because this charges me up. And then I can unplug and go about my daily business loving people and representing God throughout the day based upon the, the amount of God power that I've got stored up inside of me. And maybe you go, well, you know, throughout the week, my, my God power, my charge starts to wane, so I really need to be a part of a small group so that can charge me back up. How many of us carry this mindset around that abiding looks like connecting with God for a little bit like a cell phone and then going off and doing our own thing? and representing him based upon our own strength. And yet, the point that Jesus was making in John 15, I am the vine, you're the branches, and if you rest in me, if you abide in me, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, nothing happens. The point he was making is that we're not like a cell phone that needs to be charged up from time to time and then goes off and represents him. We need to be like this light bulb. Because the thing with the light bulb is the moment that you disconnect it from its power source, it goes out. It doesn't matter how much time it's spent. The moment you disconnect it and start carrying it around, it's not producing light anymore. But the longer it remains, and if it simply rests in it, then as we go about our business... He uses us and we continue to produce light. Somebody who really understood this, this idea of abiding in every moment of every single day, whether we are at work, whether we're at school, whether we're at church, whether we're just going about our business, going to the gym, whatever. Somebody who really got this was a guy named Brother Lawrence. There's a book that, that somebody wrote through a bunch of conversations with Brother Lawrence. I was just reading it again this week because it's so powerful in reminding us what it means to abide. Brother Lawrence was a guy who fully understood that his life was, was about resting in God's love for him. Not him loving God to earn God's love, but rather just resting in God's unbelievable love for him. And he said, I recognize that God is with me in everything. And that means that I am just as close to God when I'm going about my work, when I'm running errands, when I'm washing dishes, as when I'm on my knees worshiping my God. And in fact, it's all worship. Every single moment of my day, everything that I do is an act of worship because I recognize God is with me and we are doing this together. He's empowering me. He's directing me. He's giving me both purpose and the ability to do what he's calling me to do. And I just, I think to myself, what would it look like if we as a people began to live our lives with the understanding that God cares about more than just an hour and a half on a Sunday morning and, and some time that we spend acknowledging his presence right before we eat a meal? What if we went through our days with the understanding that our God is with us in everything? How would it change the way that we go to school and interact with our, our friends? How would it change the way that we go to work 
and even the way that we do our work? How would it change the way we interact with our neighbors, with our spouses, with our children? How would it change the way that we go about doing our free time? I even think, I mean, how would it change the way I go to the gym? If I recognize that when I step foot in there, God is going with me and I get to be his light there. Because that's the message that Jesus was saying in John 15, is that he created us to rest in him. And out of that, naturally, our lives will start to produce fruit. But it is as a byproduct, not as a prerequisite. It's a response to, not a requirement to, to earn God's love. Does that make sense? This is important. I mean, this is probably the most foundational thing that I can teach you guys, and it's something I have to constantly be reminded of. Because so often I feel like that, that illustration of the light bulb that's just clinging to the power source, hoping beyond hope that I don't slip off. God said, no, that's not how it works. Just rest in me. And guess what? You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. You're going to flicker from time to time. Rest in me. Because I love you. You didn't earn my love. You can't lose my love. So rest in my love. Of course, this begs the question, well, what does this mean for us as a church, right? Because that's the whole point of this series, is for us to kind of go, where are we headed? What are we about? And how does this play out specifically here at Lighthouse Community Church? Well, I can tell you that understanding that everything that we do is going to come from the soil of our abiding connection with God, we are making a very concerted effort as church leadership to go, how can we bring our attention back to God in every opportunity? And so it's going to start shifting a lot of things. You've already experienced some of the shift here on Sunday mornings because it used to be that Sunday morning the focus was the message, as if this was the the. Everything was building towards this, the worship, the announcements, everything was building towards the message. And we said, wait a minute. If our relationship with God is foundational to everything that we do, then we need to remind ourselves, draw ourselves back to God, create space for him to begin to... We're not just here for intellectual stimulation. I hope that you don't come simply to garner information. And I hope these messages aren't just about giving you some information to go, oh, that's interesting, write it down, slip it in your book, your Bible, and then go on with your regularly scheduled lives. And so as a church staff, we said, we want to be way more intentional about creating space. We, we sow some seeds of ideas. We want to create space now for the Holy Spirit to begin to press those down into the soil of your heart and to begin to nourish and nurture those seeds so that they can actually begin to produce fruit as you rest in God's presence. Toward that end, for the last couple of months, we have been carving out 10 to 15 minutes at the end of every service to respond to the message. So in other words, the worship at the beginning, which I, many of you guys are missing because you're getting here about 10 to 15 minutes late, please don't miss that because that prepares our hearts. You laugh, but I mean, come, this is really important. I kind of sometimes feel really bad for those of you guys who are newer to the church because you're the only ones sitting down in the seats for the first 10 minutes. And you guys are able to enjoy this worship music, but the rest of our family aren't here to worship with you. So please make a concerted effort to come earlier because that time sets us into a time of now being able to listen to what God has to say to us through this message that we've been prayerfully preparing throughout the week. But that message also is a preparation for what comes after. 
The new focus of the whole service is those 10 to 15 minutes at the end where we just go, okay, God, now we're just going to give you some space. We want to respond. So you go ahead and lead us. And that might look like a ton of different things. That might look like you simply sitting in your seat, having a conversation with God about something that was said today. That might look like you standing up and raising your hands and worshiping, singing these songs that kind of echo the heart of what we've been talking about. But it might also look like, man, I really just need to to get into a posture of submission. And you might find yourself some weeks coming up and kneeling down in this space that we have in front, submitting yourself to God and just saying, I need you so badly right now. Or finding somebody who, you know, we have our elders and some prayer warriors that will come to the front and at the back. You might find yourself gravitating towards one of them and saying, I just need prayer today. Would you pray with me? Or I need to confess something that I've been holding on to and I just need to, to let somebody else know and would you join me in praying? I don't care how it is that you respond but my prayer for us as a church is that we would become more responsive and so we are going to continue to carve out space in every service to respond to god however it is that he leads and my prayer is also that we would continue these conversations as we go so if you'll notice in your outlines at the bottom there's home home homeward right that's i think right those questions are intended for you as a family you as a couple or you individually to just go, okay, I want to continue this conversation throughout the week. These are not things that we just throw in for space filler. They are intentional in order to continue the conversation. My hope is that some of you guys will have conversations maybe at dinner time or on the drive home. You'll wrestle with some of these questions. You'll, you'll continue this conversation throughout the week. Number two, we as a church recognize that Sundays are not the only place for us to carve out space. And so this last year, we started doing something that we call the living room. And that's a time to gather together over in the Faith Cafe. Pete brings together the band, and we have a time of prayer and worship corporately where we just spend time soaking in God's presence. And man, they have been powerful. They've been some of my favorite things we've been doing here as a church. And if you've missed out on that, I would encourage you strongly, don't miss those. They're wonderful. That's why we choose to do them on Wednesday nights when the vast majority of our small groups meet because we want to create space for all of us as a church to gather and respond together. We are going to do these every other month during the the months that the small groups meet. And then during the summer, I believe it's our intention that we're going to do them every month when those groups take a break, that we would have opportunities to corporately gather. So our next night of prayer and worship. The next time we're going to do the living room is going to be on uh, Wednesday, February 15th. It's the third Wednesday, and we're just going to keep that rhythm of every other third Wednesday. We're going to gather together as a church and worship God together. Thirdly, we want to be intentional about continuing these discussions and, and training ourselves to be able to rest, to remind ourselves, because I think more often than not, we need to be reminded more than we need to be taught. We know these things, but we forget them because we're so naturally swimming in a culture that says you got to earn love. you got to be worthy of love. you got to look a certain way and act a certain way. And we need to continue to push against that tide. And so we want to continue reminding ourselves these things. So in the month of February, I, for one, as, as I am beginning to step into a little bit heavier leadership role, um, have asked the... Uh, the elders and, and Lee, if I could take some time to really, me, rest in God. And so I'm, in the month of February, I'm going to take 
a, a one-month sabbatical, and this is not a vacation. This is a time for me to intentionally, before I, I take on a greater weight of, of trying to lead this church, it's me saying I need to really make sure that I am resting in my relationship with God. That means some time getting away, going up to Palomar where we have our men's retreat, me just by myself spending some time with God, getting a, a, um, a spiritual director to walk alongside of me and, and challenging me throughout this time, and then just me spending some time with God. So in the month of February, I'm not going to be here because I have been gifted with a little bit of space to just rest in God. But during that month, for you guys, Pastor Lee and Chris are going to be having a conversation here on Sundays of how do we love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Some of, many of our um, series are going to focus on us resting in God's love and reminding us of this need to abide in him. We're also going to have some opportunities as, as people come along our way where we go, hey, let's get somebody who really has experience in resting in God and prayer or somebody who, you know, you know, somebody to help, help us learn how to worship better. And we're going to have some opportunities for training. And then another thing that is beginning to percolate is this idea of just putting some foundation down and getting people to speak into our life. So there may be some one-on-one discipleship where we talk about you know, with one other person, what does it look like to rest in God's love? These are things that are beginning to percolate. And they're not things that I can say everybody's doing it right now, but rather just these are things that we are being intentional about as a church to create space for us to learn as a people what it looks like to rest in him so that everything that we do will be affected by our abiding connection to our vine, to our power source the Father who created us to do life with him and to represent him. We have this unbelievable invitation to be his representatives, but we cannot do it if we're not connected to him. All right? So I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward, and we are going to respond now. And I don't know how you're going to feel led to respond. You may just need to sit there with God and have a conversation. I'm going to ask my prayer team, my elders and their wives, some of you to come to the front, and that, um, Byron and Diane, that includes you guys back there. I'd, I'd like you guys to just kind of spread around the room. If you need prayer for any reason, please feel free to come up to one of these couples and ask for prayer. If you want to just come and, and kneel down at the front, that's perfectly fine. If you want to raise your hands or anything else, because remember, a lot of times our heart follows the posture of our body. So by getting down on our knees or raising our hands, our hearts will tend to follow and we'll be more focused. So respond how you feel led, but let us definitely continue to learn how to rest in our Father's love. God, I thank you so much that you didn't just throw us out like a a broken light bulb when our ancestors sinned against you. I thank you that in your love, You redeemed us. You sent Jesus to pick us out of the trash heap of this world and to die in our place so that we could be reconciled to you. And I thank you that you have given us a new lease on the purpose for which you created us, to be reflections of you, light shining in the darkness. And that's only going to happen when we rest in you. So now we want to spend some time connecting with you. Holy Spirit, we invite you, we welcome you to be here and to guide this time and to speak to us. Have your way with us, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen.
thousand times I've failed, still your mercy reigns.